I'm Lake Miller. And I'm Hannah Brown. Welcome to Gem City Diversity, a podcast where we talk about diversity and inclusion in the Dayton area. We're from the National Conference for Community and Justice of Greater Dayton, or NCCJ. NCCJ works in the Miami Valley to increase understanding around the topics of diversity, equity, and inclusion. In this episode, Lake talks with Amanda Northcutt, the Prevention Education Coordinator for Visible and Resilient. They discuss what Visible and Resilient is, creating an inclusive program, how intersectionality plays a role, suicide prevention for LGBTQIA youth, and how you can work to be an ally and advocate. Enjoy. Uh, well, thank you for taking some time to chat with us today. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me. So want to talk a little bit about Visible and Resilient and the important work that, that you are doing in the community. I'm guessing that um, some of our, our listeners have not heard of Visible and Resilient before. So would you mind just taking a moment to, to kind of let us know what Visible Resilient is? Um, yeah, Visible and Resilient is a youth-informed, um, education-based, SOGI-inclusive program that is working towards increasing health equity for um, LGBTQIA plus youth in Montgomery County. Um, as we have seen the historic and systemic marginalization specifically with um, the Q plus group, I will say Q plus um, and by no means of offending or excluding. We actually, and I say we, Rochelle and myself use Q plus as more of an inclusive way to encompass um, all because we keep adding those, those letters on there and to, to not leave anyone out. So we're kind of going back and unpacking the youth informed. We actually do have um, both middle and high school age youth who hang out with us in the sense of they're informing and, you know, like, Hey, what, what's going on in your world? What does it look like at school? What does it look like, you know, at home? And, and so getting that, that narrative from a youth and then what can we do? Like, how can we support what, what would be of interest? Um, we have youth that are helping update social media sites, creating Canva posters. So it, it's truly a youth informed program, which I think is really cool because we have a, a multi-generational piece of youth. And then it kind of goes up to, we have some Miami students uh, that, that are involved in VNR as well. So then we have the 20 year olds and then it steps up to, you know, myself, Rochelle. Um, so we kind of hit all the age groups. And I think that brings a, a really cool component to, to the program. Um, we use the SOGI again to, to be inclusive instead of going through the LGBTQIA+. Um, SOGI are looking at sexual orientation, gender identity expression. So kind of encompassing all of that um, in an inclusive way. And so that's, we throw that out there because that's actually our presentation. We often incorporate that and people are like, what, what is, what is that? So, so looking at that, it is an education-based program. Rochelle Froboda, who is the creator of VNR, um, was a sexuality educator at Miami University for way more years than I can remember. Um, she now has a really long title at public health and, and is there. Um, but so looking at how the program was created very much based on scholarship 
and, and education piece. For myself personally, I was a middle childhood educator. So I was a teacher in Dayton Public prior to jumping on with VNR. So I feel like we're very informed and very much take the approach of an educational lens um, for the program itself. We um, again, like to focus that we are an inclusive, a SOGI inclusive program, because while we specifically focus on Q plus youth, the program is inclusive with the idea that we want all young people who want to be involved. We understand the importance, A, of intersectionality um, and B, advocates and allies and how crucial they are to help build community. Um, you know, and create that space. So it's a, a short description, but a very lengthy explanation. So hopefully we didn't put anyone to sleep there. No, thank you. That was great. And, and for those, I know you just talked a little bit about looking at intersectionality and your inclusion. Um, for people who maybe aren't so familiar with intersectionality, can you talk about what that looks like when you're talking about the Q plus community? Yeah, absolutely. So when we're looking at Q plus youth, intersectionality is, is looking at those different identities, um, obviously being a part of, you know, the, the LGBTQIA plus community would be an intersectional identity in the sense that it's an identity that has been oppressed, has been discriminated against. But then when you, you factor in other identities for folks, so like our youth of color, um, our youth that, that have disabilities, whether it be physical, whether it be you know, uh, a mental disability, then we're, we're looking at how those experiences sort of cross and how they affect you know, any person, but we specifically focus on, on young people's walks of life. Um, and so looking at my experience as a white female, it's going to be inherently different than a black female's experience and how we have, you know, walked, walked the, the world and how those narratives are created. And so specifically looking at the queer community, when we're looking at things, especially like mental health and suicide um, attempts or ideation, what we're seeing, and when I say what we're seeing, what we've historically seen that is still continuing is that adding in those intersecting identities, it, it takes those rates up. So you're looking right now at 42% um, of LGBTQIA plus youth have considered and or attempted suicide in the past year. Um, half of those individuals being either transgender or non-binary. Then you look at taking that up and, and adding on factors like black youth that are also identified in the, the Q plus community and those statistics race. And so with those intersectional identities, it, it continues to increase. And I always like to make sure when, when I'm talking to youth, especially um, we, and I say the we as adults tend to, when we're talking about things, you know, tell youth, well, you're, you know, you're at risk if you belong to this community or that community. And I feel like that could be taken as, well, because of who I am, you know, I'm at risk. And so looking at it from the lens of you're not at risk because of who you are, you're at risk because of how society is treating you and because of the systems that are in place currently. Um, and, you know, systems do what systems were put in place to do. And unfortunately, still, that is to uplift some and, and not others. 
And so it, it has nothing to do with who you are. It's these failing systems that, you know, groups like VNR and NCCJ are trying to disrupt to, you know, look at creating those equitable environments for all people. And, and I think that's a great way to look at it. I think sometimes when we talk about these, these statistics with our youth as well, it can be, it can be really discouraging to our LGBTQ plus youth who feel as though from the beginning, they were kind of dealt a hand that maybe is not the same hand that somebody else is being dealt, right? Like we know that LGBTQ people are dying of suicide at dramatically higher rates than their heterosexual cisgender uh, counterparts, right? And like, I think as we, we see these trends, it's so hard. It's so hard not to ignore it, but it, I think it can also be really difficult for our young people to see those trends and, and look, at their, look at their path and look at their, their future kind of journey. Um, now, are, are those trends or intersections improving? I know people, especially around the LGBTQ space, like to really talk about how far we've gone, but I have a sense that we have so far yet to go. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, the data is not is not changing. Um, you know, for twenty plus years, and so suicide is the leading cause of death among Q plus youth. Um, and and yeah, statistics aren't aren't changing. And I, you know, you hate to dismiss the progress that that has been made, right? But to your point, there we have so much further to go in so many ways and and yeah looking at at the kids because you know we're talking as adults how how stressful this can be and when when you're a kid looking at all these things going on you know around you things that and i i use the word privilege and not in a negative sense although i feel like you know majority groups often take them that way when you're walking the world as a a non-majority you know, group, um, I think you don't see the stressors that are just kind of packed into a day. Um, anything from when I go to the locker room, where, where am I going to get changed? Where am I going to go to the bathroom? When I go to this class, is this teacher going to affirm who I am? Is someone going to say something? And so I think it's, you know, imagine being in that that space all the time and not knowing, you know, kind of where you fit. And, and so again, we've made the progress and, and we're definitely having more conversations. I mean, I think having groups that, you know, are having the conversations and, and giving you those, those places um, are there. And so progress is being made, but unfortunately, you know, we're not pushing and when I say we're not pushing it, we are pushing. Things aren't being pushed far enough currently, um, you know, where obviously where we need it to be for these, these kids. Yeah, and, and I think that we oftentimes have this kind of mentality in the United States of celebrating these early victories and then almost kind of giving up. In our, in our last podcast episode, um, we talked about Gym City Market, right? And how for some people, the building of the gym city market was like, all right, we did it right. Like we closed the food desert in West Dayton. We opened a food store. Uh, but this is, this is not a, uh, you know, it's a victory, 
but it's not the end of all the issues. The, the food desert is not a food oasis now. It, and I see that similar thing happening here where like, I'm assuming for some people, you know, like gay marriage became, became legalized and folks were like, all right, we, we've, we've come so far. The problem is solved in the same way. I think even that, that some people, you know, saw a black president and said, racism has now disappeared, but we know that all of these things are, are untrue. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I almost think what's happening is there are folks who use those as platforms to say those very things as, well, look, you can get married or, you know, you have, and it's almost like used against people. I feel like of, you know, marginalized groups because, well, you can, you know, do this and that. Um, and you, you know, how, why, why do, you know, why do we need pride month? Or um, it's been questioned a lot, you know, looking at G GSAs or diversity alliances, you know, well, we don't have straight alliances and, you know, we don't have, you know, alliances for white kids. And, and so looking at it and, and what GSAs are intended to be, you know, and, and not trying to be a smart aleck, but yeah, we do. It's the rest of the country is that. And again, with, without the intention of offending, but look at what is normalized in every day. When you go into a classroom and you're looking at literature, what's being read in the classroom, how often do you have a Q plus person that is your protagonist? Um, you know, looking at the, the staff, the makeup of the staff, who are we primarily seeing in these roles? So the the normalization for majority groups is there on the daily, and and that's huge. Um, that representation, you know, of people, whereas oftentimes marginalized groups they don't see that, and for youth not to see who they are represented on a daily basis, that's the intent you know, of things like a GSA is to create that space, but also to create a community for, you know, marginalized youth, as well as advocates and allies of to, you know, have those conversations with, have that space with, and ideally, you know, that continues to expand throughout the school, throughout community, and, and the true intent is to be a community builder. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I, I oftentimes, uh, think when we're having this conversation, like Ruth Bader Ginsburg um, was always quoted saying like, you know, people would ask like, well, when are there enough women on the Supreme Court? And she'd be like, we're going to do this work until, you know, until there are nine, until like everyone. Um, and I was always kind of puzzled by that. But when we, when we look at it uh, through this lens that you're talking about, it's like, nobody's questioned that norm that was created for so long of like everyone on this court being men, frankly, being cisgendered, heterosexual white men at that, right? Um, and, and so there's such a drastic difference between having a, like a, a straight pride group or having a, a white pride group rather than sharing a group with shared oppression, frankly, shared experiences. And going back to what you had touched on earlier, like for me as a cisgender heterosexual man, there are things that I have never had to consider walking down the street um, experiences that I've never had to, to confront that somebody not sharing those identities um, may have. So what, 
I guess kind of summarizing that from your perspective, like why are these targeted efforts or these targeted groups so vital? I mean, I think first and foremost, we look at things like mental health. And I think that's that's the big picture, right? The the inequities that we're, we're seeing for a multitude of reasons. And you still see policies and procedures and institutions within, you know, systems that are, you know, favoring non, non-marginalized groups in a way that, that is still oppressive, that, that is still discriminative. And I think when we're, we're looking at that, kind of going back to what you're saying, A, you don't know what you don't know, right? So like for, for you or even me in, in different ways, there are experiences that we will never have that, you know, a lot of people will never have that, that we don't know, that we won't understand. And so again, you you don't know what you don't know. However, being mindful and, you know, I think looking at the, the mindset of just because it's not my problem doesn't mean it isn't a problem. And I think for the mental health of folks, for, you know, everyone looking at how we can function together in a world and in a society where morals are different because our walks of life are different, our experiences are different and, and that's okay, but embracing that as opposed to, you know, honing into all those differences and shaming, you know, one, one or two groups and saying, well, this is wrong. I think, you know, taking a look at the systems and not in an individualistic way in the sense that like, let's blame people or we're so far past that, that we just, again, need to look at systems and what we're reinforcing and what we're telling people. And it doesn't necessarily mean verbally what, what those systems are telling people. Um, And I think specifically focusing on groups like, like Q plus youth, um, or, you know, youth of color, these are groups that, A, historically looking, have had to fight for basic individual rights um, and still looking at, at scenarios. And, and when I say inequitable, I don't think it's all the time, you know, up in your face homophobia or up in your face racism, but looking at microaggressions and, you know, that we have been, or implicit biases that we have been trained as individuals for so long that we don't even know we have. I think it's, you know, going back and and recognizing those things and, and looking at how and why they are hurtful, you know, to all people. And, and kind of honing in on that. But um, yeah, I, I think again, specifically for marginalized groups, I have to again, go back to these are our, our kids that are deciding it's better to not live than be here and be who they are. And that's a problem. And, and I think you take morals out of that anyone's morals. And I can't imagine that anyone thinks that dead kids is okay. I I can't think that. Um, And so, you know, looking at it, even from an education lens, there doesn't have to be an, I agree with you. 
you know, it's not that type of thing. As a teacher, there were, there were a lot of kids that I didn't agree with on a daily basis. However, going into public education, you don't get to pick your kids, you know, and they do be, they, they are your kids for that whole year. And then they become your kids and that's how you refer to them, right? Um, you don't have to agree with them. You don't have to understand them every day, but you have to see them and you have to affirm who they are and support who they are as a person. And, and again, I, I don't think that's a moral thing. I think that's a human thing and also a professional thing because that's the job. Um, and yeah, that was a very lengthy answer. Sorry. No, that's great. And, you know, we have this conversation a lot about pronouns, actually, um, where when we talk about pronouns and kind of describe them to people and explain what they are and all of this, oftentimes we have someone respond who's like, well, I just don't get it, right? Like, I just don't get pronouns. And I oftentimes respond and say, well, you know, I'm happy to answer questions that you have. I'm happy to give you more information. But at the end of the day, there's going to be some folks who don't who don't understand, or maybe they don't want to understand, right? Um, but what I oftentimes, especially in our corporate settings, describe to these people is like, there's a few things at play here. First of all, we, we know these statistics about suicide, and we're contributing to that if we start using dead names, or if we start using the wrong pronouns for somebody. Um, but the other piece of it is exactly what you just touched on there at the end, which is like, at the end of the day, this comes out of customer service. Like, what kind of business are you, are you running? You know, are you respecting your consumers, your students, those folks around you? Because it's really, yeah, it's a respect thing. I don't have to agree with everything that somebody says, but at the very least, me as a human being needs to respect the other human beings that I'm sharing, cohabitating this space with. So, yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I ironically find in, in school spaces, which I, I go back to that just because that's primarily where, you know, we hang out. Um, but I'm looking at youth and this Gen Z that's, that's coming up. They're pretty fluid. They're pretty, you know, kind of roll with it. Oftentimes, unfortunately, it's the adults in the space that are the problem. And, and it does go back to the, well, I just don't understand it. This, this kid went by they, them, and now, you know, we're switching to, to he, they, or, or whatever it is. And, and so the conversation goes, okay. And how does that affect you? Um, how does it affect me to use someone's pronouns that they're asking me to use? It doesn't. Well, what if I mess them up? Well, then you mess them up and you apologize and go on. Just like if you call a kid the wrong name, which I, I did on a you know, daily basis, when you have a hundred and some kids, it's probably going to happen. I call my own kids the wrong name. Sometimes, you know, it happens. Um, sometimes I call the dog's name in the heat of the moment. And, and so it's just apologizing and, and moving forward because at the end of the day, I don't think anyone expects perfection. I think that it's effort. And I think it's very much the same, the same with names and asking to be called a, a different name. I, I don't view it as any different than a nickname. If a, a kid uses a nickname, A, you know, you you would try your best to always remember that nickname or you'd write it down on a seating chart or something. And that's what you would call the kid. Whether it's their personal, you know, journey and 
them trying to figure things out for themselves or not, that's where they're at right now. And I, I think it goes back to meeting people where they're at. So this, this kind of brings up for me um, something that we've, we've had a lot of, we've run into a lot of conversations about. And this is individuals fearing like doing the wrong thing. Um, like, hey, I'm going to be an ally. I'm going to be an advocate. But for a lot of people, there's that hesitation of like, well, what if I say the wrong thing? What if I try to help and I inadvertently make it worse, right? Like, like you said, we're talking about systems that have been around uh, longer than our country's even been around. These systems have been formed. And so for folks that can be like really overwhelming, um, I don't know how, <laughs> you know, I don't even know how we overcome this, but uh do you have any advice for those folks who are kind of approaching this conversation and saying like, well, what if I, what if I make a mistake? What if I do the wrong thing? What if I try to help and I make it worse? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and to be honest, that's probably our number one ask right now for professional development. We've gone into several schools lately, and that is the biggest concern for teachers. And I think the first thing is, you know, kudos for a having the thought of, what if I make it worse? Because then that implies that you want to help and, and make it better. So um, there's that. And I, I find, at least in the education realm, that majority of folks are in the space of, I just don't know. And so those people, it's very easy, you know, have a group come visible and resilient. We offer professional development. We'll come in. We'll come back as many times as you need us to and cover whatever topics you need us to cover. Um, but I think it's gaining that information, um, but also giving yourself the grace of you're not going to get everything right and you're going to live and learn every day. Um, if you have relationships built up with folks in the Q plus community and you have the relationship to where if you say or do something that is offensive, they're going to let you know, and then, you know, they're going to tell you, but I think educating yourself the best that, that you can, and again, not expecting perfection because it is a huge cultural shift. There's a lot of changes. There's a lot of terminology that, that is continuing to be added. Um, and I think it, again, stems from doing the best that, that you can. And when you mess up, you mess up and you apologize and you move on. And I, I think, again, going back to being human, that's going to happen. But I, again, also think reinforcing that educate yourself um, and recognizing that there are some experiences you won't understand. However, I think the other piece of that is with the recognition of the experience, you know, recognizing that you know, with those, the intersectional piece, everyone's walk of life is different and being mindful of that. And I think that that's in all spaces, right? That the things we say and we do are going to affect people in different ways. And so being mindful of that piece always. And again, are we going to mess that up sometimes? Absolutely. I've said things, I mean, I say things probably all the time that, you know, but it is what it is. But looking back historically at things that I've said, I'm like, that was really stupid. Like I, I should not have said that, but I think that's, that's a part of the learning process and where we're coming. And again, I think cultural shifts were constantly changing. And I think that 
along the way you have those growing pains and everyone has to give themselves the grace of we're going to have that. And so as we kind of start to wrap up our time today, um, if a young person is interested in getting involved with, the, with Visible and Resilient, what options do they have? Yeah, absolutely. So um, with Visible and Resilient, we have a, a website, visibleresilient.org, that they can go to get in touch with me. My email is on there. So if you email, you will um, get my email, my response. But what we do is we're currently running drop-ins for both middle and high school um, youth in a virtual space, sometimes in an in-person setting when we're able to be safe and, and distance and, and be cautious there. But we do bi-weekly. So on Tuesdays, we'll do uh, middle school from 5.30 to 6.30. Um, middle school logs on. The Zoom link is private, so you have to email me. That's for the safety of, of youth that, that are in this space. And we talk about lots of different things, do lots of different activities. And it's, again, youth informed based on, hey, what, what do you want to learn about? What do you want to talk about? What should we do? Um, high school follows right directly after. And so they're 6.30 to 7.30. Um, what the calendars for each month get posted up. So it's on the website, it's on social media, they can get in touch with it. We also do in-person stuff. We toured a food bank last month. Um, we're going to jump into some volunteer activities. We've gone to Ritter's ice cream, um, lots of, of community stuff. On Wednesday, I am actually um, pulling some of the youth to do our pop-up station at one of the libraries in Dayton. We have a Thank a Teacher initiative going on, so we'll be hanging out at the library, um, having community members fill out thank you cards. We'll also have a button maker, which is awesome. Um, people really seem to get excited about making and designing buttons, so we have that going on as well. But then we'll also, VNR will be hanging out at the one of the branches of the library and we'll be doing activities there every other Friday. And again, to get all that information, I just ask that people reach out to either myself or someone in the organization um, just to ensure safety of everyone who comes to the spaces that we're in. Um, but we do do the, both virtual and in-person drop-ins. The other um, thing that, that I'm heavily into is if schools in Montgomery County have GSAs or diversity alliances, I can come in and do activities and hang out there. There are several schools in Montgomery County that we are currently doing. Um, we go in and do activities and um, different, different things depending on what that group specifically wants. And, and we offer that option. And then adults in the, the space, we do professional development. So um, we've been in schools, we've been at the ESC, we've kind of been a little bit of all over middle schools, high schools. Um, we have some elementary teachers now saying like, hey, there's a need and we're going, yes, yes, we know. Um, but we also did some book clubs last summer. So we kind of are all over doing lots of different things, but reaching out, I can get calendar invites and links to whoever and visibleandresilient.org is the best place to, to get hooked up there. Great. Well, Amanda, I appreciate your time. Is there anything else that you want to add today? No, I don't think so. I appreciate you, you having, you know, me on here and, and I know that we're, we're going to be out a little bit for December, but we will be full force January and, and starting things and again, kind of expanding around Montgomery County. Well, great. Well, excited to, to see all of the things that 
you and your youth are accomplishing here throughout Montgomery County. And thank you for everything you do to, to support the community. Yeah, thank you so much.